Hey, welcome to the C3 Victory Podcast. We're praying this message encourages you, grows your faith, and builds your relationship with Jesus. Thanks for joining us. We are going to be turning, once I actually turn everything on over here, we're going to be turning to Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25. We are continuing on in our Mark series, our season, I'm going to say two, it is season two, good, I get lost with where we're up to, um, season two of Mark. This is episode two, but I kind of feel like saying it's almost episode one, part two, because what we have to unpack today is an extension from last week's episode one. And I really encourage you, if you have missed um, any service, any message over the, the last couple of months, but especially last week, um, make sure you jump on YouTube um, and, and watch that as well, because you're going to get so much out of it. Even if you've seen it before, go back, review it talk to Jesus, get some more out of it, that sort of thing. So I highly encourage you to do that. All right, hopefully I've brought you some time. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25. This is what it says, and I'm reading it in the NIV. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. What an ending. (laughs) So exciting. I got these scriptures from Pastor Nate. I'm like, oh, great. I can do this. This is wonderful. Lord, thank you for choosing me. Okay, let's pray. It'll be fine, guys. It'll be fine. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are with us and you love us and you are faithful. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, you speak to us and you teach us um, through your word. And I pray that as um, we take this time together to unpack this, Lord, I pray that, um, yeah, you'll just do an incredible work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, have you ever had a situation where you have been talking with someone, maybe it could be a family member, a best friend, a co-worker, and you're saying something to them, but they completely misinterpret what you're saying. Or maybe you hear something they say, and you've totally taken it the wrong way. Has this ever happened to anybody? Where are my husbands and wives? Have you ever had this experience? No, of course not. No, never. Okay, so for example, my husband and I, I, I'm a quality time person, really like my quality time, like catching up. And I would say to Simon, I'm like, oh, tonight, let's just catch up. Let's talk, babe. Let's have a cup of tea and have a talk. This is what the Grons taught us in our pre-marriage counselling, let's have a cup of tea. Um, and Simon is really resistant for some reason. And I'm like, come on, let's just catch up. And so what he, I'm saying is one thing. I'm saying, let's have a cup of tea. Let's catch up. Let's just check in. Whereas he's like, oh, my goodness, she's going to go DNM on me. She's going to get emotional. She's going to unpack every detail of her day. And he's just like, ah, I'm not into that. Oh, he is sometimes. He's great. Um, but he heard that. And he, he heard something that I didn't really mean. And, yes, I do mean DNM sometimes. But 
Sometimes I just want to hang out and just chat. And then the same kind of goes both ways. Simon sometimes is like, hey, babe, why don't we watch a movie tonight? And to me, I'm like, no. I'm like, I want to just spend quality time with you. But to him, watching a movie together is quality time. I mean, as long as we can actually find the same movie that we enjoy, which is very hard to do as well. But anyway, so this is a situation in life, right, where you, you think you're hearing something, but actually there's something else underneath there. Or we might be taking it in a different way or misinterpreting it. And um, in the words of the friendly Spanish um, fencer and henchman of the Sicilian criminal Vicini in The Princess Bride, he says, I, I do not think it means what you think it means. I just That's what came to my mind when I read this scripture. I'm like, I do not think it means what you think it means. So yes, I had a well-rounded upbringing. Thank you to my father. Um, so this morning... We're going to consider that in the light of this passage. Um, We're going to dig a little deeper. We're going to lean to the scriptures and consider what is the purpose of not just these words and these parables, but of parables. I mean, I think our series is called (laughs) Parables. So we're going to lean into what's the purpose of parables. And I'm not necessarily going to go through and unpack every little meaning of the lamp and every meaning of the measure, or we're going to jump back to the sower, or we might go into the lost sheep. And there's like little, like I've got all the answers, guys. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about maybe a new posture or perspective that we can carry ourselves to when we unpack the scriptures. Does that make sense? Okay, wonderful. So let's go to the foundations, the scriptures, the Bible. Um, in Throughout the entire Bible, um, there are several literary styles within the scriptures. There's narrative, poetry, and prose discourse, which is speeches and letters and essays, that sort of thing. Narrative makes up 43% of our scriptures, yeah, of the Bible. Poetry makes up 33% and prose discourse makes up 24%. Now that means there's a whopping almost three quarters, yes, three quarters of the Bible is full of story and metaphor and allegory and imagery. And this is on purpose because the thing is stories are the most universal form of communication. God has hardwired our brains to respond to stories and to receive information well through stories. I don't know if you've ever read a book and you have been so engrossed in the story and the character and what's happening that your heart starts racing. Has anyone ever done that? Where you're like, you're like, I'm with you right there. Don't go into the room. Don't do it. Don't open that door. I once, okay, so when I was like, I actually realized I was probably like 16 or 17 when this happened, but I was reading this story of um, Diary of a Teenage Girl, as you do, and this girl was making some dodgy choices with her boyfriend, and I was really caught up in it, and I actually started praying for her that night, (laughs) and I'm like, this is a fictional character, oh my goodness, and I reckon God's like, yeah, you're so ridiculous, but not really, Um, loves my heart, I'm sure, but you know, when you get so caught up in the story, it's just... You're right there. And so I I did some research and neuroscientists at the Cambridge University have conducted studies, like with the little node things on a person's brain, um, 
that when we hear a story, we not only have the language processing parts of our brain activated, um, but the other areas in our brain that would be used to experience what's happening in the story are also activated. So when we're reading about a character jumping, the jumping part of our brain to get us ready to jump is also activated. Isn't that amazing? Scientists call this assimilation, and where this is where the reader or the listener takes on the qualities of the fictional group. It's incredible. And we know that many professions and industries do this. They, they harness this power. So the big one is definitely Hollywood and movies, right? You, you get yet so engrossed in the story. Again, emotional Jess gets so invested in the characters of the story. And most of the time it's a love story where the girl's been in the car accident and she's forgotten all about her husband. And I'm like so upset for the journey of him having to woo her back again. And I'm bawling my eyes out. And I went home and went to bed early because I was so emotionally drained. And this actually happened. It was in that movie, you know, The, the Vow with those people. Um, and you, you just get so caught up. You're right there in it. Um, I remember this story um, my dad has shared with me when um, the movie came out in 1978, Superman. Who remembers that? Anybody? Show your age. Um, that he went and saw this movie at the cinemas with his cousins, including his little cousin. And when they were leaving the cinema, he saw his little cousin run before him and just launch himself into the air and smack landed on the ground. Because he was so there. He was like, oh, I can fly as well. I am Superman. I have these powers. And this is what they do. This is what stories do. And I see it all the time even as a school teacher. I, I have my year six primary class in front of me. And as soon as I'm sharing a story with them, I have them right there. I have them at hello. They are just, they love my story, particularly when the story is about me and Simon and falling in love. They just think that's the best. Or if there's some sort of adventure story, which there isn't that many actually. <laughs> I kind of ran out of them in term one. But, um, but they love it and they're right there. And as soon as I do the line that goes, and this means, they're like, out. They're like looking at the clock, looking out the window, a water bottle gets knocked over, like, they, you know. But stories, I know it works. It tunes in the listener. And did you know that Jesus was a master storyteller? And that majority of his stories he told were in the form of parables. So what is a parable? Parables are short, fictitious narratives populated by vivid metaphors. They are scattered throughout the entire scriptures, but are heavily found in the teachings of Jesus because he knew their power. I mean, he created them, I guess. Um, so in preparation for today, I did some investigating a little bit deeper into the, the power of parables and what's happening um, with us when we read these. And I found this incredible um, quote from this man. Now, I just have to tell you, his name is Klein Snodgrass. So just get that out of your system. Yes, his name's Snodgrass. It's, it's not made up. I looked it up. He has this great book called Stories with Intent, Unpacking Parables. I just knew I had to say that. I am a primary school teacher, and you've got to get it out of your system before. Anyway, um, this is what he says. I think it's going to be on the screen. I don't know. See how we go. Oh, yeah. Great. Okay. Direct communication is important for conveying information, but learning is more than information intake, especially if the learner is someone who already thinks they understand. People entrenched in their current understanding set their defences against, against direct communication and end up conforming the message, the message they're hearing, into the channels of their current understanding and reality. It's oh, really cool. But 
indirect communication finds a way in through the back window to to confront a person's view of reality. A parable's ultimate aim is to draw in the listener, to awaken insight, to stimulate the conscience and move to action. Jesus's parables are prophetic instruments used to get God's people to stop, reconsider their way of viewing reality and to change their behavior. He is the master. He knew that if he came in here and just said, you need to love the Romans. Or if you came in and said, be good to your mum," or whatever it is. Like if you came in and just direct laid it down, all these incredible kingdom principles, more than just those really weak examples I gave you. But anyway, um, that he knew how we were hardwired. He knew that we needed to be engrossed in the story, to, to, to um, allow these defenses to come down as we have that human element connection through the story and then realize, actually, this story that I'm hearing might be about me. It might be something I need to reconsider and think about. It's really powerful. Um, For example, one of my favorite parables in the Old Testament was when um, the prophet Nathan called out King David on his adultery and murder. Do you remember that one? For those of you who don't know, it's incredible. Read 2 Samuel 11. That's when King David stuffs it up. And then 2 Samuel 12 is where the prophet Nathan comes in and he shares this story of this rich man who has this incredibly um, large flock of sheep at his disposal and he's neighbor to this poor man who has this one sheep that he tenderly loved. And then when the rich man had a visitor come, he wanted to have a feast for him. So rather than choose from his multiple sheep that he could have chosen from for this feast, he went next door and stole the poor man's sheep for himself. And this is what it says. It's incredible. Here we go. This is David being completely sucked in. In verse 5 of 2 Samuel 12, um, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this is a son worthy of death. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, just picture it like a movie turned to him and said, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And then he just continues to roast him. It's incredible. But it drew King David right in to feel the injustice. I think if Nathan outright and said, hey, you stole Bathsheba and killed Uriah. What are you doing? He might, it might have been a little bit more of those defenses, right? But when he kind of got the heart of his, what was behind that and the sin and the injustice of it, and then it was like a slap across the face, like it got him and he repented. And, and it's a very complicated story, but you should tune into it. It's incredible, this, stout, this power of parable. Now, Jesus' parables weren't unique. Obviously, they've been told for many centuries. And previous or other teachers and scholars of the day um, would share parables to teach their students about morality, religion, and philosophy. But what was unique, and this is we need to consider this, what was unique about parables, or Jesus' parables, sorry, were that they were about him. They were about the kingdom of heaven. And the, the kingdom he was ushering in. And this was such a point of difference. So, great, awesome, Jess. I'm going to read these parables now. I'm going to get so emotionally invested. And I'm going to know how to be a good Christian. This is going to be great. Okay? We can think that. We can go, yes, I can do this. But 
then we actually come to the passages, right? Okay, so if we come to Mark 4, verse 21 again, let's have a look. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? You go, yeah, okay, makes sense, sounds good, God, yep, shine the light. Um, For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Yeah, okay. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Yes, I have ears. Last I checked, I can hear. Great. Then we get to verse 24. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. You go, what? You're taking something away from me, Jesus? What's going on here? You have this moment of going, yeah, I, I don't know. Do I, do I get what that's saying? You know, Jesus had many parables like this. He had parables about wines, wine and wine skins and wheat and weeds, specks and logs. He had a parable where he talked about that he could um, destroy the temple in three days, this big Jewish temple in just three days. And then there was even this moment where he said to them, um, he tells the crowd, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in this life. I mean, it's like, no wonder the crowd and his followers are like, what, what are you saying? What, what, do you, what does this actually mean? I do not think it means what I think it means. That line, okay? If we even consider the parable of the sower, which we unpacked last week, this was not the kind of analogy his followers were expecting to hear. It, they kind of were starting to suspect. They kind of started to believe this was the messianic king that they were awaiting for for centuries, But you would expect that maybe the long-awaited promised messianic king would come in with parables about chariots and warriors and plagues of fire burning down upon the oppressive Romans. But what did he do? He talked about a farmer sowing seeds. This is the story, Jesus, for the most radical, history-changing, life-altering, revolutionary coming of the kingdom of God a plain old farmer and its seed. You've got to kind of put yourself in what they're expecting to hear. Because this isn't just a text for us today. This was written in a completely different time and context, completely different sort of people. That's where we need to start. So no wonder the disciples were going to him and saying, please explain. As some chick said that at one point, please explain, some like that. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, but you know what? Maybe this is exactly what he wants us to do. Maybe he wanted his listeners to lean in and to ask questions. Jesus didn't tell parables to make everything clear. Rather, he wanted to provoke the imagination to break down those defences, those walls of previous understanding, perspectives, expectations, and invite people to lean in and see what God was doing from a new perspective. So like that lamp in verse 21 to 25, um, that was meant to be put on the stand. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, they are purposed to be giving light. They're not meant to be concealed forever, these mysteries. They are meant to be out there on the stand giving light. But he calls us to ask, to seek, to knock. 
There's a partnership there of us pressing in and leaning in. There's a call to lean in and ask the questions. So if we have a look at verse 23, it says, Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. In another version or translation, sorry, it's good to look at multiple translations, team. Make sure you get into that. If you have ears, pay attention. In the Amplified, it says, If any man has ears to hear, let him be listening and let him perceive and comprehend. Then in verse 24, consider carefully what you hear. He continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. And then finally, in the NLT, this verse also says, then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. Can you hear those words? Pay close attention. Pay attention, perceive and comprehend. Let them hear, consider carefully. So similar, like that whole thing of how is to hear, let them let let them hear. You know when you, you're, you're listening to someone but you're not really listening to someone? I do this kind of regularly with my kids. I try not to but it happens at times just to fess up. Like I might be doing like a job in the house and Nathaniel runs in and he's like yammering at me about something and I'm like, mm, yeah, bud, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, no worries, no worries. And the later I come into the kitchen and there he is stuffing his face full of brown sugar because apparently I said yes to what he was asking. That's, I had ears to hear, but I wasn't really listening, was I? I wasn't really taking in what he was saying. Uh, on the flip side, when you do listen and when you do lean in, there's a powerful thing there. For example, um, one night when I was putting my son William to bed, and we normally sing a song and pray and just check in about the day, um, Instead of thinking about that person I need to text back or the jobs that need to be done in the house or some work I need to prepare for the next day, I I actually tuned in and listened to what he was saying. And I could see something was bothering him. And when I asked this time, he actually burst into tears because we started to pray. Um, I don't know if this is showing anything good here, but he was sad because he thought we were all going to go to heaven and he was going to get left behind because he was angry at his brother that day. Bad theology, William. <laughs> but, and that, that could be my fault. <laughs> not. So I had to do a bit of a conversation there. But um, I saw that because I lent in. I paid attention to. When you really pay attention and dig deep into what a person is saying, it speaks of closeness, it speaks of intimacy, it speaks of a softness of mind and of heart to actually seek out understanding. And maybe that's actually what Jesus wants us to do. He wants that closeness with us, that intimacy where we dig deeper, we pay attention, we ask him to reveal more every day of what he wants to share with us. So that last part, that feels a bit icky. Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. Let me just quickly unpack that. Um, I'll unpack that by referring to a a wise man, um, Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, fantastic man, um, commentary there in Mark for Everyone. He says this, This isn't quite like saying, you'll get out of this what you put in. Since, of course, when everything depends on the grace of God, it's never a matter of simply... um, a matter simply of people trying to a bit harder and so getting a better return for their moral investment. I really want to hear, I want you to hear that with that. It's not about, oh, I've got to work hard and then I'm going to get good, okay? It's rather, again, a promise and a warning, both of which are amplified in the final little saying. If they grasp what Jesus is saying and go deeper and deeper into it, 
they will get more and more from it. But if they remain at a superficial level, like the uncomprehending crowds, they will lose even the sense of God doing something new in their midst, which they have at present. It's a leaning in. It's a posturing. It's, it's kind of taking this seriously. Because I want you to consider what you're thinking about. What are you paying attention to? Because like, like what Pastor Nate said last week, we are surrounded day in, day out of a culture, of a world that is also seeking to throw seed, seeking to get their agenda, worldly agenda, complete opposite to anything the scriptures say into our lives. Um, we listened to, I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher at a Christian school, we had a conference week and we had this man come and share with us um, to kind of do kind of a cultural commentary and, and that sort of thing. Um, and he talked about that this man named Rory Shiner, he commented that um, we're not going to be out, um, out taught or out argued, but actually we're going to be out discipled, as in the people of the world are being, they're part of a discipleship course as well. And that's what, and it's the seeds of the world that they hear every day. Um, he said to live in modern Australia is to be part of a relentless discipleship program. Every Pixar and Disney film, every graduation speech, every new novel and Netflix series is 100% on point. Your purpose in life is to find your true inner you and then to express that to the world. God is framed out. So I, I want you to hear that, that kind of like consider that. We can't just brush over the scriptures that are a bit, oh, I don't know what to do there. Let's lean in and, and see the realness of that. We live in a world that is, we are in a spiritual battle, okay? We have, we have the, the cultures and the prince and pal- principalities, sorry, of the world that is trying to also sway us in a different direction. And it's important to take note of that and to consider what am I choosing to lean into? What am I giving my ear to? What am I hearing and paying attention to? Okay, so to wrap it up, those are my questions. How, so how do we position ourselves to truly hear? We lean in, we consider, and we give our attention to it. It can be as simple as that. Where is your attention today? Where is your attention as you fall asleep at night or as you wake up in the morning? Is it like this? and then falls on your face. Is that what's happening? Oh, making you feel squirmy. Um, it's all right, I was, it's, I'm learning too. Um, where is your attention when you're anxious? Where is your attention when you are winning? And w- or where is your attention when things aren't going in your favour? Where is your attention when you're relating with others? Where is your attention when that co-worker is sharing that juicy bit of goss? or that family member argues with you on every single point. How are you letting the Scriptures and what Jesus teaches us of a kingdom posture go deep into that fertile soil of your life? Are you letting it do that? Are you giving attention to this so it can go down deep, so when you feel anxious, you turn to prayer, so that when you're relating with that co-worker, you choose to love or you choose to say no to that bit of gossip. That's where the rubber hits the road. What are we doing with this? We see the power of parables 
and the purpose of parables to, to help us to lean in and ask the questions and to really ask the question, what are you giving attention to? Lend Him your ear. Lend Him your heart. How do we lean in? Well, Acts 2 verse 42 helps us a lot here. He says, um, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. That's so foundational. And I know so many of you are so great at doing this. So I encourage you to stay in doing this and leaning into it. You know, the apostles' teaching, the Word of God, to fellowship this. And this week, I'm pretty sure it's our table space week going to table space, leaning into fellowship. I had a great time with my family on Thursday night because I went and said, right, help me unpack this. I need to know what to say on Sunday. Um, no jokes, I had, I had some ideas. Anyway, um, but it was beautiful because we got to around the dinner table have this robust discussion to lean in and go, oh, have you considered this? Have you thought about this? And together there was this sharpening so that I'm not here in my room trying to figure out my own theology and what I can. this scripture's maybe saying. This is why community is so important because together we sharpen one another. Together we wrestle out Scripture and pray for one another and, and, and show love for each other. So important. And prayer and leaning in to what um, He's doing. And then secondly, the work of the Holy Spirit is so important with this. Now we can read and read and read and, and study and study and study, but it's not until you lean in allow the Holy Spirit to bring revelation when the deep work really happens then. In Ephesians 1 verses 17 to 18, Paul is um, speaking to the church of Ephesus and he says this, For I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that He may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of Him by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light so that you can know and understand the hope to which He has called you and, and how rich is His glorious inheritance in the saints, His set-apart ones. So when you hear me say, lean in, dig deep, pay attention, and, and you get that sense of responsibility of your part, please remember that we have a loving, gracious, faithful Father and faithful friend in the Holy Spirit who does the work, who does bring forth revelation when we position ourselves for Him to do it, yeah? We can't think we're going to work it all out on our own. We need Him. We need to rely on that still, small voice. The amount of times I've been washing up and I'm so annoyed at Simon and I'm just oh, getting that dishes. It's really good for getting the, you know, the bad stuff off the pan because you're angry. Um, the amount of times that's, that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit within me is like, can you think of something you're thankful for about Him? Or can you, can you pray for Him for a minute? Like I need the Holy Spirit. I need Him to bear that fruit that we talk about, that when I lean in and I hear and I pay attention to that voice and to what the Scriptures are saying, He then does this incredible work. And it's not by our own striving or our own strength, but it's by His Spirit that we have this transformational work. So 
just to, to finish it all off, I just want to encourage you that this isn't a type of message that's a, now let's all come down the front and repent and be on our knees in this space. It's not one of those moments. I really want to encourage you this morning that the rubber really hits the road when you walk out those doors. How are you leaning in out there? How are you leaning in out in the foyer? Yes, when you have conversations with each other. But in your day-to-day life, are you leaning in? Are you paying attention to what the Scriptures are saying? And can I say there's always more. That's why it's about that measure you give. The measure will come back and more. There's always more. I have two beautiful grandparents. They're old. (laughs) Sorry to offend Pop. (laughs) He watches online. My Pop is going to be 89 very soon. I'm getting emotional because I had one grandfather pass away. But they were faithful men of the Word. And even in their 80s, they opened their Scriptures. They leaned in. They pay attention. Pop has this chair in the room across from the dining table. And it has his cassette player. I'm pretty sure it's a cassette player. Is it a cassette player, Pop? You can put it in the chat. Um, So it's a cassette player of worship songs and he has his devotionals. And I see that's his his way of living. It's his way of dwelling with the Holy Spirit and knowing him in his old age. So you might be in here thinking, no, I've got that. I'm saying, no, you don't. (laughs) Lean in, press in. There's always always more because our God is mighty and powerful and all-knowing and His ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And he, He's an incredible heavenly Father that wants to outpour His wisdom and knowledge and love and blessings upon His kids. So I encourage you. Actually, I'm going to ask you to stand, please. I'm going to pray for you as we finish up. But I encourage you, I charge you to lean in this week. Lean in to what Jesus has to say to you. And you don't have to be, like I said, um, an older citizen to do this. And, And I can see my incredible row here of our Victory Youth. God has so much to outpour to you guys now. Like I have such a heart actually for young people that they realise that their purpose in life is now. People ask you, what are you going to do when you finish school? Which is, yes, important to think about, but God doesn't wait till you finish school to do incredible things in your life or to teach you the richness of His Word. You don't have to do all the readings. You don't have to have a degree. You just have, a, have, have to have a heart that is positioned that is soft to lean in. Do you get that, guys? I'm looking directly at my friends here. Yeah? Lean in. His purposes and plans for you are now. And that goes for everybody too. Yeah? In your workplaces, in your families, in your neighbourhoods, whatever context you're in, now lean in. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. And if you did, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming messages. We would love for you to connect with us by heading to c3victory.org.au.